Are you constantly stressed and thinking about work? Does your laptop come with you on holiday? Your to-do list have permanent residence in your brain and your worry about how to handle the latest crisis wake you up in the small hours? Then it's time to get your life back and that's exactly what our brand new online course will help you do. It's a 60-minute reset for healthcare professionals to shift your mindset so you can set boundaries and limits around your work without the endless guilt that you've not done enough. It's just £27 and you can get instant access now when you go to shapestoolkit.com slash getyourlifeback. Now on with the podcast. I was really, really pleased to be able to talk to Richard Husseini. He is an an ex-Olympic strength and conditioning coach and he's worked with loads of people like the Chinese diving team and recently with Olympic snowboarders. And how cool is that? So it was really good to talk to him because he has now set up an organisation where he deals with living well, living consciously and doing all those things that are going to help you really sort of regulate your sympathetic, your parasympathetic system to stop the whole experience of stress that many of us can get caught up in. So I'm sure this podcast will be really helpful for many of you. So it's great to have with me on the podcast today, Richard Husseini. Richard, welcome. Thank you for having me. So I'm speaking to you in Cambridge and you are in Brighton, is that right? Yeah, windy Brighton. Windy Brighton, I was going to say sunny Brighton, but we've just had the storm Chiara that has just passed through, hasn't it? And was everything okay where you live? Yeah, I just, before this, I went down to this, the seafront because it's high tide and it's, it's crazy, really amazing to see the sea. I go in the sea most days, all year round, wow. not today, obviously. But um, yeah, it was just crashing over there onto the road. Yeah. That must be lovely. Do you do that sort of cold water swimming? Do you tend to go in regu- regularly? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I used to hate the cold water. Well, I just used to be a real baby. And um, in 2018, I just, on New Year's Day, I went in and set myself for 2019 to go in most of the days. And I did. And it's just, it's stuck with me. It's, a, it's just a great way to start the day. Clarity. And it just brings me into my body, kind of the senses and the, the way you can, I use breath to control that cold. And uh, it's so powerful because that definitely runs into real life in the sense of the ability to manage that stress. I notice it transfers. I still get stressed, of course, but I don't get hijacked. Yeah. Interesting. I know there's been a lot of evidence, hasn't there, now about cold water swimming. It seems to be a, a massive sort of anxiety reset for the brain. For sure. Yeah. The kind of, um, I think my understanding of it in the vagus nerve improves the tone of that. And so your whole nervous system just, certainly how I feel, come out. And it's just when I get back home, just much calmer and just a, mm-hmm. a really nice state. Good. I guess it's, and it's easy to do if you live near the sea. Exactly. Yeah. Or a shower or bath. Um, <laughs> although I find that harder. A shower is harder than a get in the sea. Yeah, because to see you feel like you're one with nature, really. Just standing under a cold shower doesn't have quite the uh, <laughs> the same the same connotations, doesn't it? Anyway, but it's great to speak with you. And you know, we are in touch because we're a member of the Happy Startup Community, which is a base again based in Brighton, which is a really great business community. If anybody wants to check it out, and we thought it'd be really good to talk to you because I know you've done a lot of work with Olympic athletes. Firstly, as a strength and conditioning coach, and now you help people with their well-being in all sorts. Of different ways and as you know this podcast is for sort of GPs and doctors and and other people in high stress jobs and I'm really interested to know what transfers you know from your experience in coaching you know you were coaching some really I mean they were very high-ranking athletes weren't they they were Uh, they were Olympians yeah Olympic medalists very grateful to the the sports I worked in for some reason action sports were the main sports British diving British slope style big air that kind of stuff China diving trying to judo, a bit of Cirque du Soleil. And so 
I think what stood out to me from working with these athletes, all have to, athletes have to manage stress and fear and that kind of stuff. But these guys pushing the limits and not just with regards to performance, but, you know, they really do risk their lives, especially the snowboarders, you know, yeah. what they're doing is crazy. And I think what transfers, there's a lot of things that transfer. There really are. What they do is extraordinary, but the traits that, certainly the medalists that I've been witness to have very clear traits that stand out, whether it's in England or China or whatever. And uh, you've got mindset thing, that kind of stuff. But I think the first thing that stands out is they can manage their state. So they, they're about to go off these huge jumps. And like I said, what they do is extraordinary, but they still, they're still balancing, managing that fear. And so they, the best can do that really well. And I think phys- you know, physically, when they're in Olympic final, X Games final, whatever, they're, they're physically pretty similar, acrobatically and that kind of stuff. But it's who can perform under pressure, not just profession in, for, in the sense of can they win, but can they land it? Are they going to be safe? And so using breath, for example, before slope style course for this, our listeners, you know, a slope style would be a mixture of rails and big jumps that they go down. And so kind of they're set elements, but there's a lot of creativity that, they, you know, it's up to the, the rider, whatever they do. And, you know, within minutes, three, they've warmed up and then three, four minutes before they go, they'll do a simple breath exercise like box breathing or another one like that, where they just bring themselves into the moment. So they trust their process. They've, they've done all they can to that moment. They're, they're ready to do what they can do. And they're not thinking about what they need to do. They're just, they're coming into that present moment to be as clear and as level headed as possible. Not to say they're not stressed, but to use their stress response well, the peak arousal well, rather than being a flat line. And I think that's what I see now in the, the people I, I work with now, like I think almost like this 21st century normal of slow drip cortisol, this constant chronic stress. And it's in a way their nervous system is stuck in that. And their, their parasympathetic doesn't come online very well. And even when they go to sleep, you know, it's not they've got any data on that, but I think, you know, it seems that people are stuck in this chronic stress state and don't use their, system, their nervous system well. So are you saying that these, the breathing exercises, like the, this box breathing, well, first of all, can you just explain what box breathing is? And then secondly, can you just tell us how that helps balance out your nervous system? Yeah, so box breathing simply, so imagine a box, and this is not set, you can play around with the variations, but for example, five second inhale, five second hold, a five second exhale, and a five second hold out. You can change that, of course. But what that does is it just, certainly with the inhale, hold and that controlled exhale they really bring on the parasympathetic almost like i see it or my interpretation of the parasympathetic is like a break for the sympathetic so rather than just you're not in one or the other there's a tone and the parasympathetic can come on and a box breathing is is calming but kind of, i guess more focusing whereas a, a breath technique such as four seven eight so four second inhale seven second hold eight second out so a slightly longer exhale is i guess famously for before sleep kind of if people have struggle sleeping that's a really good one to to practice and really both of them are doing a similar thing they're just bringing the parasympathetic they're allowing giving the parasympathetic more chance to to kick in and to kind of come away from that stress and does that still mean that you perform well so say if you are a snowboarder just about to go down your slope don't you want to have all that adrenaline why do you want to have your parasympathetic nervous system going I mean, like, I've not down, gone down there, the, the slopes that they've gone down, but what they say, this is an intervention that we, I guess, brought in, but um, they get nervous and they get, this, they're just human beings like us. And what they do is extraordinary, like I said, but they still get the same emotions. And if that's not controlled or that's not managed well, sorry, then uh, the fear the fear kicks in and they, they start to think, overly think. 
Yeah, so I guess above a certain level of nerves, actually that's deleterious, that word. Yeah, that, that doesn't help our performance. I guess you can see that with the ex dodson curve, can't you, that I use all the time in my training. You know, if you, as the stress increases, your performance increases, but then as the pressure carries on increasing, your performance then goes down. So it's, it's so you're using this breath and this parasympathetic stimulation to bring you back to peak performance when you may have just tipped over the top. Exactly that, exactly that. And there are so many different ways and, I guess one really great person to check out if you're interested in this, Brian McKenzie from Power Speed Endurance. They've got a course called Art, The Art of Breath. And they're, they're more focused on performance. So performance of athletes and using breath, but fundamentally like managing, improving our CO2 tolerance. So carbon dioxide, I guess linking to the bore effect. So if we're mouth breathing all the time, we're breathing off excessive CO2, which we need to do because it's a byproduct and uh, that kind of stuff. But we need a certain amount of CO2 to interact with the oxygen molecule to allow the oxygen to re-release optimally and so if we're chronically over breathing that ratio is not optimal and our stress resilience is directly related to our co2 tolerance just from the work they've been doing at stanford and again my understanding i in sport i used heart rate variability as a measure of one measure of monitoring readiness monitoring kind of training low fatigue and that kind of stuff to do together with a few other things but that can be a little bit delayed, whereas CO2 tolerance, and all CO2 tolerance is basically is a controlled exhale. So I can explain to you later if you want that, but how well you tolerate a buildup of CO2 in your blood. So if you hold your breath and then you get that need to breathe, that's not because you're out of oxygen, it's because your CO2 has built up. And so ask your tolerance. And so just a box breathing is a way of improving that. Breath holds are a way of improving that. Just a very simple. And so... The CO2 sensors are kind of in the, in the limit part of the brain. That's the most live, real update of your current state. Not, it's not a linear line that you, you know, the more you increase, the better you are. And of course, you, if you improve your CO2 tolerance, you're going to be better, but it's how you are today. And so if you can, you can then alter your day. For example, if you're, if you're into exercise and you have a lighter day, or if you can shift some work to another day, then, then go for it. Or you use breath interventions to kind of help bring you down because i think what i was wondering was can these breath in interventions help with people who have chronic stress throughout the day who are constantly on the go because i guess the athletes you work with they've got this massive thing and then it's over in about three to five minutes isn't it and then phew that's okay so they need something to control it on the moment i guess if you're a gp or doctor you're seeing patients every 10 minutes you're getting interruptions you're getting stressful things that's coming at you does it work in the same way yeah i i would say that again i don't work in that that environment but i would say in the people that i do that work in stress busy stressful situations it's putting in boundaries in your day that you can have that downtime you know how can you even if it's five minutes just to do close your eyes no screens just come into your body even if you don't do any conscious breathing particular exercise just slow your breathing down control your exhale make your exhale longer than your inhale and just give those breaks throughout the day to allow yourself to kind of reset a little bit and I, like I said, I don't work in those environments, but it's about what can you do? And that to me, breath is like the lowest hanging fruit. There are loads of other things you can do, of course, but if you can't manage that in the moment during the day, which we can, we have control over our breath and our breathing patterns. Yeah. So was there anything else that you observed really works with these sort of high performance athletes that you, you have now taken and you're using for, for every, every day to just mere mortals like people like me? <laughs> okay, uh, and me. Mindset, and I think you spoke a little bit for like, how do you perceive your world? You can't, like a cliche to say this, you know, failing is learning and all that kind of stuff, but you, 
we have to we have to that's part of life and it's certainly in sport you don't get to do become a olympic medalist without making some mistakes you have to learn and so how do you perceive that do you see that as part of the journey or do you see it as a negative oh i've got it wrong again i've got it wrong again and kind of simple flip i guess mindset is massive and what tools can you use and we spoke about the empowerment dynamic the drama triangle so you know bouncing around victim rescuer persecutor kind of it's it's not a bad place but if you want to change then you have to step out of that but i think kind of rather than being all in our stories 20 you know all behind our eyes just coming into our body and so 80 percent of the time i kind of help coach like 80 percent of the time come into our body so for example body scan does something inform you or does it affect you does it affect your biology and so it, there's always me external information external things happening in our life but can we monitor our physiology and make a change in it so what i mean by that is is our physiology getting hijacked are we getting a stress response are we about to react rather than respond with a bit of perspective and so body scanning and kind of understanding that our mind and body are inextricably linked I mentioned kind of you know heart coherence brain coherence so heart amazing people called heart math institute based boulder Colorado, boulder colorado i think or maybe there's a boulder in, in california they've studied the heart specifically for about 25 years and there's a very re- reliable measure of heart wave so our hearts produce a wave of about seven feet and so our heart communicates with our brain. So there's a two-way relay of information and our gut talks to our brain and two-way relay of information. And I think it's by Zach Bush, some of the work by Zach Bush, for every 10 bits of information between our gut and our brain, nine go up. 90% of serotonin is produced in our gut and the home of our immune system. And look into indigenous tribes, how they use their decision-making. So gut, heart, brain, that's the way they go. But coming back to the heart, like incoherent heart wave, uh, is with emotions like anger and frustration and resentment and that kind of stuff and a coherent heart wave is appreciation love gratitude something goes into a bit more scientific depth of this is an amazing book called body says no by dr gabal mate a really amazing book how his work his study has looked into kind of the effects of chronic disease so not just the genes and, and hereditary factors and external factors such as smoking but what emotional characteristics contribute to cancer or contribute to ms or contribute ls or whatever all the chronic diseases autoimmune diseases and it's just an amazing read and again kind of gives depth to that mind body connection i think that mind body connection is so important i think obviously traditionally we've not really been taught about it as medics it was you've got your physiology and then you've got your brain and we are now starting to understand much much more about it but i think we do tend to still cut off the two or, or certainly feel that our brains influence our bodies and not the other way around. So, you know, my thoughts, I know that my thoughts will make me feel anxious, but we don't realize that actually what's going in your guts can also make you feel anxious. (laughs) And, you know, recognizing the, the whole holistic this is a really good TED talk by this woman who um, she's a gastroenterologist and she wakes up in the middle of the night feeling anxious about something her first thought isn't oh what's going on why am I feeling anxious this oh what did I eat today and she'll go and have a cup of peppermint tea and often that will settle down but I know that if I wake up feeling anxious I'm like all right what what have I got to worry about what what is it what is it and then I'll find something of course I'll find something to worry about and then I'll rather than thinking oh maybe I'm just lying in the wrong position or or something like that and believe thinking that there's always got to be a reason yeah does that ring true with you very much so very very much the stories in our head are uh if you get perspective into what start to watch them and notice the patterns whether it's certainly on a daily basis kind of i think that was a meditation that's helped so much for me it's 
it's so hard to start with. You haven't got meditation practice and you haven't got to sit there for hours, but just to, just to witness what's going on in your mind rather than being in it. Can you start to get some distance from those thoughts? And that's a skill like anything, learning to skill and that's someone who linking the kind of esoteric world with science is Dr. Joe Dispenza. And uh, I recommend someone check it, you know, if you're interested, check that out because he's using meditation to do some really amazing things actually. And there's increasing evidence about meditation, mindfulness and all sorts of things in the medical world, you know, chronic pain being one of them. And it really, it really, really does help. I've experienced that myself, but still it's, you know, I think it is, these things are quite hard for us to have been trained in hard science to get our head around them. But there is, there are more and more, you know, evidence-based coming mm. out on that, which is really important. So do your athletes meditate then? Some do. I mean, I don't work in sport now, but some definitely do some don't at all but I, I think what is what's interesting and I guess where I've gone so I left sport I gave end-of-life care to my mother 2015 she had cancer and I kind of this from that moment I really kind of just uh, I did work in sport a little bit more but my interest in well-being my interest in a whole host of different things sprouted from that and an organization called the flow genome project I recommend you checking them out who are giving hard science to the once very fluffy experience of flow flow state I get it. You're pushed for time. And with over 200 episodes, how do you know which is going to be the one that lifts you out of the saucepan and back to thriving at work? Never fear, the You Are Not A Frog podcast quiz is here. Find out if you're a super squirrel, brilliant badger or mighty mole, and I'll send you a personalised playlist with the top five episodes that will make the biggest difference to you. Discover your top of the hops top five episodes sorry and leap into your happiest thriving self again just go to you are not a frog.com slash quiz and kind of from their research and ongoing research and, and their work kind of what they've realized or what they came out was meditators versus people who went to edm music versus people into kind of different sexuality, people into a whole host of meditation, a whole host of different things were actually accessing the same state. Even though they wouldn't talk to each other and then sit in the street or wouldn't be drawn to the same crowds, like they're actually accessing the same state. And so coming back to sport, you know, the snow, in my, in my experience, the snowboarders, yes, they want to win and they want to do well, but what they're doing, they want that feeling. That's that feeling of stoke, they call it. And it's not on every jump, not on every, every run, but it's when they're pushing it and they're landing the big tricks, it's that fulfillment, that what the fancy term is autotelic, the self-propelling, self-motivation, intrinsic motivation of doing something for the feeling of it. And in a, the signature of a flow state, or it's called stir, so selflessness, timelessness, effortlessness, and richness. So selflessness being our sense of self goes, we're not self-conscious anymore, we're just doing that task. That could be action sport, that could be at a rock concert, that could be sexual connection that could be reading a book that could be working on a project that could be a bike ride you know the list goes on e is effortlessness so the ease of doing it sorry t before that timelessness so i think that's the most common signature time is distorted so it slows down or speeds up three hours can go past in 10 minutes or other way around and then r is for richness so information richness kind of inside creativity access to whatever information or insight you get from these non-ordinary states whether that's a flow state or a peak state or whatever and uh, the physiological mark characteristics of a flow state or a peak state so brainwave and heart wave sync so heart brain coherence great vagus turn you get you know all the dopamine serotonin oxytocin neurochemicals come online and it's just yeah a really interesting 
place. And I'd say that's what, if a snowboarder doesn't meditate, they don't, but they, they're accessing those states pretty frequently. And so they're getting, they're coming out of themselves. I think the research in the, the new research, well, not the new, it's been around, it's coming into a few years now, but the, the clinical use of psychedelics. Again, what they're finding is that these experiences, the default mode that houses the sense of time and the sense of self kind of goes quieter and the, the brains is linking up in ways that doesn't normally do and giving people a very physiological experience, but a very subjective experience. And those that subjective experience is the lasting, you know, that, that's what's making the effects so lasting and whether it's curing PTSD or treatment, treatment resistant anxiety, depression, or whatever kind of the, the pharmacological state lasts a few hours, but the subjective experience is what last, makes it last a long time. And that's just interesting to me. That's yeah, it is interesting, but I guess, uh, yes, it'd be nice to be able to do that without having to take psychedelics. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think I teach about this in my courses, uh, the state of flow being so important. I think it was described by six, um, Mahaley, Sixth Cent Mahaley, wasn't it, in the 80s or 90s, the state of flow being a state of total absorption in what you're doing and, you know, can stand still. And it's one of the ways to well-being. So out of the five ways to well-being that the government decided learning was was one of them and i think that's because you will need to self-actualize i think learning a new skill and playing is a really quick way to get into flow certainly i've been trying pottery recently it gets me into flow i'm absolutely hopeless at it but there's a, there's that element of challenge in it and i guess playing the piano for me any sort of music and um, even having good conversations or coping where it really gets me into flow what gets you into flow i think just saying what you just said like like you're embracing the fact that you're not very good and so or you weren't very good and I think no I am not very good <laughs> <laughs> I think that comes again like allowing that process allowing the fact that you're learning something new and you're not gonna but for me what gets me into flow I love being on my bike climbing sort of bouldering going in the sea especially when it's rough music kind of a whole host of different things being in nature I think nature I love just being outside yeah and then breath work I kind of all different states of breath work that I use to get into it so have you got any tips for people how they can either find out what that gets into flow or get them into flow more often what would you be suggesting to people yeah so something would be good to kind of look at is what do you do what are your default patterns some of the flow research did were the flow genome project sorry they did something called the altered states economy and so a very simple self-analysis of where do you spend your time and where do you spend your money and you kind of like for example how much time do you spend on workshops, on retreats, at music festivals, you know, whatever. You could list, you know, from the, you know, all the way from the, the, the normal to the taboo to whatever it is, you know, be as honest as you can with yourself and start to see, well, where do you actually do that? And often what comes out in the people I work with now is kind of, you know, it's either people like to be out in nature, physical, not necessarily risking their lives, but people like to be physical, moving their bodies and not in... When I say moving their bodies, not in a way of calorie burning or for looks, but the feeling of movement, whether that's learning to dance or going to an ecstatic dance or some form of trapeze. You know, you're in Brighton, there's a trapeze school. You can go and you have no background at all and you can just go and give it a go. Brilliant. Only in Brighton. <laughs> they don't have that in Cambridge. <laughs> or even acro yoga, you know, something like that. Yeah. yeah. Can you get into a state of floating karaoke? For sure. If you can, oh, good. You can get past... Get past what your voice sounds like or, you know, I'm not worried about that and just get into it. Absolutely. Yeah. Anything, anything. Yeah. So it's really working out for yourself what, what you like, what you like doing. I, I love that concept of looking at where you're spending your money and your time. You're probably, if you're not 
yeah I guess that I was just thinking would that work for a lot of people because I think a lot of people are spending money on time maybe on things that they don't want to do actually well that's really good like I think what do you want to do write write down what you want to do and then write down what you're doing because you feel you should or shouldn't do and allowing some more of that want in I think there's a and so many people are caught up in and I was as well like you know on, on what I feel I should do because I'm a father or because I'm a husband or whatever and I think to be the best father or best husband or best friend you have to be honoring what you truly want to do you know mm. and of course there's a balance and not to you know go away for six months but um you know and I think you know flow is not just one experience flow could be a on a daily ba- a daily level so that could be a cold water motion that could give it setting blocking out time two hours in the morning or whenever you get to work on a project all the way through to weekly monthly annual kind of experiences and so you know, so you're, you're starting to get a flow in more often. So your holiday a year, someone's holiday a year, that could be a flow experience because you're away and you're traveling. But how else can you get flow in your life more consistently? And it's not about you can just choose to get in flow, but kind of building in flow into your life. It doesn't take long, does it? It's just, uh, you know, I was thinking of people who maybe have small children and feel, well, you know, when do I get to do that? Because I spend every hour at the park. And, you know, I remember when my kids were small, just standing in the park thinking I hate this <laughs> it was the word I don't know why I hated it so much but then there are other things I did with them that I absolutely loved yeah. like you know other sorts of exercise or, or whatever so it's trying to build that in but you're right so many of us go from big holiday to six months later another holiday for a week I'm going skiing next week I cannot wait but how do you get that experience to flow when you're skiing on a weekly basis when I live somewhere with absolutely no hills and not any slow any snow but there are there are ways that she's taking a skating. <laughs> I think I think coming back to kind of flow flow is a is a physiological state. So you know your heart coherent state, your brainwave coherence, you know your heart variability is is a really good place. You can start to once you know that you can start to turn the knobs and leaves a little bit of physiology. And so again, coming back to breath, like flow doesn't have to be in my eyes anyway. Flow doesn't have to be doing an event. It can be an internal experience. And so if you can you know, you, you can start to take control of your breath. Someone famous it would be Wim Hof, who's doing that at the moment. You know, you can change your state to bring you into a really nice place. Your our inner critic, really, you know, selflessness, our inner critic goes quiet in a flow state. And so whether you're skiing or whether you're at a rock concert or whether you're doing a breath practice, it doesn't really matter because that internal experience physiologically is similar. And a breath is one way of doing it at home, you know. And do you think that the more you practice getting into flow, or the more you get into flow, the easier it is to get into? Yes, for sure. Yeah. It's not like, oh, I'm going to get into flow now. Yeah, the more your physiology responds and changes and comes out of that stuck chronic stress state, you know, the more, the easier your, your physiology responds. You'll be able to get into a state easier. So what are some of the things that really stop us getting to flow? Because it's one thing I can think of is when I'm trying to work on a project, maybe preparing a presentation or doing some record, video recording, which really gets me into flow in, in the school holidays and my children are around and they just keep interrupting me. And that is so frustrating. So interruptions for sure. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else that can stop you? Yeah, interruptions, having limitations on yourself, like not, not blocking it, not putting it in. I think a lot of people say flow happens by chance and when the exercise we do looking at when flow has come in through childhood adolescence and adulthood and a lot of people find that they have flow in childhood and adolescence but as an adult it seems to have dried up a little bit not everyone but that's common and so giving yourself option options but permission to play and it doesn't have to be physical it could be creative it could be drawing it could be pottery it could be singing it could be writing whatever it is you know like what do you want to do what what makes you come alive 
and go do that you know like uh, yeah. do that. I like that and one of the questions I ask people on courses is you know are you doing anything just for the sake of it what are you learning just for the sake of it what, what are you playing just for the sake of it and I think too many of us think that everything we do needs to achieve something yeah, I know I know it's not difficult state of mind I mean how because presumably with working with athletes everything they did needed to achieve something I know remember reading about the the British cycling team where they sort of looked at absolutely every single bit of their lives and tried to shave off milliseconds do things that would shave off milliseconds so how do you achieve states of flow when you're in that sort of controlled environment that's why I left really oh really yeah I mean you know losing my mum was massive to me you know completely broken and just saw life in a different light and Mm. As great as it has, as it was to work and to tell people to achieve great things, it's um, I just wanted to work in a different place, and to it, that to me was not what I wanted to do anymore. And and I think and not that's wrong. It's not wrong at all. It's just kind of I think the enjoyment of just doing something and living this life for the experience of life rather than achieving. I've got to do this and I've got to do that because if someone wins. I think that's why you know depression is quite high in in medalists because you work all this time to get a medal and then you get it and then what and and not everyone gets depression but i think certainly you know michael phelps is a famous case of that he's not he's not alone there are lots of people who have been very outward about their mental health struggles especially after winning a medal you know what you do yeah i was reading a really interesting article on thinking the harvard business review and I'll, i'll put it in the show links about goals and they did a study looking at people how happy people were or sort of satisfaction when they were planning the goals when they were sort of try, struggling and striving to achieve it and when they'd achieved it and the people were happiest in the striving not when the, the achievement of the goals was the least happy that they were yeah which yeah. It just puts it all on its head doesn't it yeah ties in the flow a little bit there's a four-stage cycle to flow so you've got the struggle so you need mm-hmm. to engage in a task to, that, that's challenging and that's not too hard and not too easy i think in a way i you know the probably surgeons maybe listen to this but my, there's a great book called Bounce. And kind of, Syed. Yes, yeah. Yes. How, how surgeons are one of the only professions that get better throughout their career because the stakes are so high. You know, you get it wrong, and there's high chance of you know losing someone. But uh, how that struggle? You need a struggle. You need to be engaged. But if it's too hard, you disengage because you you can't see the progression. If it's too easy, you get disengaged because it's bored. And then you get a pivot. So relief or pivot. You can come away from a, the task. I don't know. An example would that be if you've, for me, working on a project or an article or whatever and I'm just stuck and just stuck with thoughts and I go out on a bike my bike or go for a walk or and all of a sudden start to get oh yeah I could do that and a few ideas start to come and you come away from the, the task and then you've got flow you can't do anything about that and then you've got recovery so sleep nutrition that kind of stuff mm-hmm. and you can only control struggle release and recovery you can't control flow and so it's very simple things you know how what you how are you eating what are you taking in how are you sleeping how is your recovery and recovery is crucial and I think so many of us don't recover very well that's interesting because I, I remember I was listening to another podcast with you and you were talking about recovery and I think this is something where sports science is, is way ahead to you know our medical understanding of recovery can you just say a little bit about what happens in recovery recovery in what kind of sense well I guess what I'm thinking is you know you were saying on this other podcast that you know if an athlete sits there and thinks well should I go and do an exercise in the gym or do I need recovery actually often it's the recovery time that's going to be better for their training than the another session in the gym now the GPs listen to this they will often work five or six days a week and then on the seventh day just keep working rather than recover and I don't think we've really internalized this concept that recovery is often where the magic happens always always where the magic happens there's a fire you know 
whether it's physical stress, emotional stress, environmental stress, it's all stress in the system. It's all stress. It's the same accumulation. It's the same pot. So, you know, we have to understand that and to bring awareness to ourselves is crucial. And so in sport, you know, you, you have Olympic games or whatever, and that they're the peak and you need to taper and peak for that event. But then you've got training camps and you're constantly, this training is stress, whether it's skill acquisition or whether it's physical training to improve strength or power, whatever. And it's, it's all stress. And so you, it's that fine line between creating enough stress so the body can then respond. And it, ha- it can only respond when it's allowed to. Because you think in coming back to the sympathetic and parasympathetic, like you know, when we're in a sympathetic state, energy is diverted to awareness, to focus. You know, it's not a safe place to recover in that in a sympathetic state. So when we're in a parasympathetic state, rest, our, our energy is diverted to immune function, to recovery, to digestion, to all that kind of stuff. And so we're allowed to recover. So we're constantly going, constantly focused. We're not, our body is not allowed to recover. Physiologically, it's not allowed to recover. And so just to understand, bringing some awareness to that. And mm. to, I think it ties into the bigger thing of culture. You know, business is seemingly a, a badge of honor. <sighs> many hours this week, that many hours. And it's just crazy. It's, why? Why? It's, it's, it's neat. And I think looking at chronic illness and suicide, and there's something really wrong with Western culture at the moment, Western society at its core. And the numbers are just saying that. And, no. Yeah, I, I saw a lovely, read a lovely quote the other day that said, "Ego confuses busyness with importance." Yeah, like, that's so true. I think you know a lot of us feel that we're busy because we have no choice. I would slightly challenge that and say, actually, we do. We always have a choice. You might not like the consequences of the choices that you make, but we always have a choice. And I think we have more choice and more control than we think we do over our busyness. Very much. Exactly that. We have choice over everything, everything in our life. You know, how we react and how we, what we do and what we engage in and kind of setting boundaries that we want, how we want to live life rather than be, if we don't set boundaries, we're going to get swept away by whatever life. Life throws at us. Yeah. So Richard, I'm just interested if you had three, you know, small, quick, easy wins that people could do on a day-to-day basis to either increase the amount of flow they experience in their lives or manage stress or increase their parasympathetic control what would they be number one by far is breath work start a breath practice that's not meditation that's just bringing breath practice start to control your breath and simply there's a really good app called the breathing app it's free it's designed by eddie stern deepak chopra and moby and if you look at breathing app and you're going to eddie stern's website and you can download it free on android or amazon uh, uh, apple and it'll explain it in detail there but simply it's control different ratios of breath in breath out and that is really good to do anywhere before I guess before an interview before a meeting before you know anything when you finish the meeting like on a train commuting kind of like amazing I, I breath control is the lowest hanging fruit and has such huge huge profound benefits so that's one two would be if you have how can you block time in your day to do work so no emails no notifications phone off there's a really great app called brain fm if you've got some from creative work or any kind of work desk work stick that on on deep you'll see the settings but on uh, focus or creative and it's for me that's it's a little subscription but it's amazing it's, it that drops me in and that's science evidence-based in the sense of it changes brain wave state so that's two and then three what do you want to do what would you love to do rather than the shoulds and shouldn'ts like kind of start to bring attention to what you want to do and kind of I've got the psychotherapist and this great thing with me on guilt and I think so many people are bound by guilt I'd love to do that but I feel guilty and so understanding guilt you know what's a valid guilt and what's an unvalid guilt so a valid guilt would be for example someone's asked you to help 
and you said, sorry, I can't because I'm in another country, but you're not, you're just sitting at home because you can't be bothered. You've guilt it. You've, that's, that's guilt because it's gone against your values in sense of, or potentially values of lying. And so that's a valid guilt. And so how you disengage that is you admit to it and then you recover it and you say, okay, I want to do that again another time. So an invalid guilt is something like, so something for me, I used to compare myself to the athletes I work with. And so I would feel guilty. I don't anymore, but I used to feel guilty if I didn't train, even if I was broken. And so what I found, in, you know, through my own self-investigation was that some, that was kind of emotional soothing. So I'd go out and blast myself on the bike or whatever. And I'd get this moment of peace whether it be a few hours or that the rest of that day. And then the next day it would start again. And so I feel guilty if I didn't, but that went against my, that wasn't against my values because rest was completely in, you know, recovery and rest is everything. And so that allowed me to disengage it. So I would say that if you feel guilty and it's not against your values, stay with that feeling. Don't do the task that is going to soothe that guilt because you're just reinforcing that loop, that neural loop. And so just sit there. It's going to be really uncomfortable. You're going to feel horrible. But the more you disengage in that, the more you're going to come away from that. So that, that was just a really profound exercise that I went through that I still use now. I absolutely love that because I, th- I know a lot of people feel guilty about taking a 10 minute lunch break and sitting in the coffee room and chatting to their colleagues. But they know that's what they want to do and it'd be good for them. And, but they still feel guilty. So, you know, look at your values and see, does that, is this what I want to be doing? And if it is, then that's great. And don't feel that stupid guilt about, well, I've got those 10 phone calls to do. Because actually, you know that rest is going to help as well. Brilliant advice. Oh, Richard, thank you so much. Unfortunately, we're out of time because there's so much more we could talk about. And if people want to contact you, how could they go about doing that? So on Instagram, um, I'm currently under Husseini Performance, but this is what, beginning of February, 10th of February. Um, I'm about to rebrand to The Conscious Life Collective, and then the website will be The Conscious Life Collective. But at the moment, you can search it under Husseini Performance. Okay, and we'll put those links in the show notes. So thank you so much for coming on. It's been marvellous to talk to you. Thank you. (laughs) Hopefully chat again sometime soon. Yeah, please do. Thanks, Richard. Bye. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed the podcast, then please share it with your colleagues, share it with your friends. And I would really, really appreciate a review. I'd love to hear your comments and questions. So either email me or join my Shapes Collective Facebook group where you can post your comments and your suggestions. And I also post loads of useful articles. Have a great week.